Good morning, Christchurch. My name is Tim Owens, and it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, even though it's through video and not in person. Uh, Jonathan has invited me to uh, speak with you every summer for the last uh, handful of summers. It's always a highlight of my summer, and I'm glad to be back uh, in these admittedly crazy times. I also want to pause, and I want to give a shout-out to my lovely wife, Courtney, who's manning the camera. We are not your most tech-savvy people, and right now she is sitting at a chair with a speaker and books. We don't have a tripod, and so we have like a stack of books, and she's precariously perched on top of that, and she's also endured my many uh, takes. <laughs> I keep on making her redo this. Our kids pop in. So uh, I wanted to give her a shout-out. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning, uh, start talking to you about... Uh, present. What was the best present you ever received? And by present, I mean what was the most meaningful or the most memorable. Not necessarily the greatest or biggest or even best, but what was one of the most meaningful presents you ever received? For me, when I ask that question, I go back to early in our marriage when Courtney and I lived in what I affectionately called our fort. We were first married, we had early jobs and the only place we could afford to live was a one-bedroom apartment that literally wasn't much larger than a treehouse fort and so we called it our fort. Now at that time uh, one of my good friends was a couple named Eric and Ashley. Uh, we, did, we did a lot of things together and Eric was the pastor of a local church and he actually was serving as my mentor. So we would meet once a week, we'd talk about life, um, Lots of fun stories about how he helped me navigate the early struggles of how to live in marriage and um, more funny stories there. We'll have to t keep that for a different time because my wife is, is the camera person. Um, and so, but one of the things I remember about Eric and Eric and Ashley was um, how tight their budget was. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't something that came up very often, but even he had a job a little further along than mine, made a little more than I did, but he also had a house and a mortgage and a handful of kids and and it was, again, it was never anything he advertised, but I just knew from living life close with him that money was tight. Uh, for example, I remember one time we were gonna get pizza on a Friday night and he literally, even though he was a grown man with a grown job, like he, he chose not to get pizza because every single penny in his budget was allotted for and was you know, already maximized and he didn't wanna break his budget. So I actually don't remember the details of the gift that Eric and Ashley gave me. But I remember that somehow, somewhere, they gave us either $100 cash or they gave us a gift card. And I, feel, I don't, the reason why I'm hesitating, I don't, it just seems weird to think that Eric would have given me like, like straight up a $100 bill. Like, so I can't remember the context, right? It's, it's been so long ago enough uh, and, and the memorable part of the gift isn't really even what the gift was, but here's what it was. They did give us some form of, of money. And I think someone had given them a gift card and they gave it to us. or so It was something like that. But here's what I remember. I remember being floored that the guy who struggled to afford pizza on a Friday night, whether he had an extra $100 or whether someone had given him a gift card, whatever it was, when he chose how was he going to spend that money, he chose, I want to give this to Tim McCourtney. And so even though, as I've told you, I forget all the details of the gift. Like the, the details don't matter. I may even have some of this wrong in memory. It's almost 20 years ago. But what I remember is that Eric and Ashley and their scarcity 
chose to be overwhelmingly, beautifully, extravagantly generous to me and Courtney. And that's one of the most memorable gifts of my life. And I wonder as you think about what, what gifts, what presents have you received or have you given that are memorable? And are they the ones that we've given out of our excess? That barely cost us anything? Or are, are they the ones that we've received from people who we know barely cost them anything? Because I've received bigger gifts than this that were more fun, but that also I never really registered as, boy, that person had to sacrifice to give that. Now, I also, I, I want to imagine what the conversation between Eric and Ashley was like before they gave us that gift. Like, whose idea was was it Eric's idea? Was it Ashley's? And when the other one heard the idea, like, did they immediately buy in? Yeah, we don't have any money. Let's give it away. Or did they argue about it? There's something inside us that we're going to look at today that when we feel pinched, when we feel a little bit threatened, we can respond in one of two ways. When we, when we feel pinched, when we feel threatened, I think we want to respond, our natural response is we want to, to protect, which often comes across looks like being selfish. When we feel pinched and threatened, we want to protect ourselves. And that often leads us to act in ways that are actually selfish. We are going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible about gifts and about feeling threatened uh, and about being either selfless or selfish. Uh, and it's a story, it's a story, a long, swirling story around the life of, of this person, Joseph, in the Bible. Joseph was a guy that uh, they made a musical out of him, Joseph in the multicolored coat. So we're going to look not just at Joseph, but we're going to look at my favorite brother of Joseph's. He's a guy named Judah. And Judah has these two key moments in the story of Joseph. So first, uh, some context. We're going to be reading, I think, primarily in Genesis 44. Uh, but we're also going to start off in, a little bit in Genesis 30, 37. So if you want to, again, turn the pages in your Bible, or I always swipe with mine, uh, we'll be in Genesis uh, 37, uh, but also particularly in Genesis 44. Now, so here's the basic gist. Uh, we're going to, this story covers tons of, covers like the whole uh, last 10 chapters almost of Genesis. Just as a quick aside, the story of Joseph, and the story of him especially, what's gonna, what we're going to see with his, uh, him and his brother Judah, takes up more biblical real estate, meaning the authors of Genesis spent more time telling the story that we are saying today than the authors of the Gospels spent on telling the birth of Jesus. The story that we're looking at takes up, this one story takes up almost more biblical real estate than what any other story in the Bible is given. you got to wonder, why do they give so much time to this one story? We're going to look at that in a little bit. But, so, so uh, here's the story. Uh, Joseph was a, was a brother, uh, was one of 12 brothers to his father, Jacob. And Jacob had a bunch of different wives, because you could do that back then. And he had one favorite wife, Rachel. And he liked the two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob liked his two sons of Rachel more than any of the rest of his family. And so... He gave especially uh, preferential treatment to Joseph. 
He gave him a nice, pretty uh, uh, robe that sh showed that he honored Joseph more than any of the rest of his brothers. Now, this was in a culture where the oldest brothers were supposed to receive the honor. So, you have this situation where you had, and Joseph knew he was being treated preferentially, and he had these dreams, and he would tell people that he had these dreams of everyone bowing down to him. So, basically, he was kind of a young, spoiled brat that always got everything his own way, and he had these older brothers trying to figure out what their place was. He had these older brothers who felt threatened by the younger brothers' role and place and stature and position of honor in their family. Now here's what's interesting with, with biblical stories. Biblical stories tend to take ordinary, true human lives and emotions and experiences, and they exaggerate it. It's like, they, it's like when you've seen those pictures of a shadow right, cast up on the wall. It's larger than life. And then biblical stories take these ordinary, everyday feelings and emotions we have, and they just throw it up on the wall, and they exaggerate it and make it large so that we can, we can see what's happening. And it shows us the results if we give in to all these different desires and temptations. But one of the dangers for us is that it can make us think, oh, I would never do something like that. So here's what happened. So Joseph and his brothers are all rolling around this family drama and, and jealousy. And, and so what happens is, this is true, this actually happened. They actually, long story short, Joseph's brothers decide their best option is to sell their brother into slavery. So it literally happened. They, he came to them out, out in the fields, and they threw him in a, in a big cistern or a well, and they, they talked about killing him, and they ended up deciding to, to sell him to you know, slave traders instead. And I always wonder, man, there was a moment when I'm imagining a big caravan of camels and you know, merchants. I remember, I always wonder that moment of Joseph being led away on a camel or walking or whatever it was, and, the, and looking back at his brothers, his family who literally just sold him into slavery for the rest of his life. Now, here's the, the pinch for us. I doubt many of us have ever had the opportunity to sell a sibling to a traveling Middle Eastern caravan. So we like to push these stories to the edges, to the fringes of our lives and say, well, that's, <laughs> that's not me. But here's where we are. Joseph's brothers all felt threatened by his stature and position of honor in their family, right? We've all felt threatened. We've all felt pinched. My friends, Eric and Ashley, they felt pinched by their own budget, right? We, we go to work and we have, we have, we have conflict with the people we, people we work with, right? We have people come on the team and, and maybe, maybe someone on the team does something better than you do and you feel threatened and you feel like you have to protect yourself to protect your role at your work. Or you come home, right? Virtually every single argument with our spouses, our husbands and wives comes from we're feeling threatened or pinched in some way. Maybe we don't feel understood. Maybe we just we, we want to carve out a tiny bit of space and time for ourselves and our spouse wants to do something different. Maybe there's an expectation, right? Whatever it is, right? And we feel threatened. And our immediate impulse is, is to protect whatever it is. But we are... We are living in this crazy time in our country, whether we're talking politically, right? Whether we're talking what's happening with, with, with all the racial injustice that we're seeing and we're seeing come to the, racial injustice that has always happened, but we're seeing come to the, to the fore right now. And people are feeling threatened in all kinds of ways. 
and we're seeing all this angry division and fighting. And when we feel threatened, when we feel pinched, when we have this desire just to, to protect, to protect what's ours, and it often leads us to act in selfish ways. This is what Judah said. Judah's my favorite character in this story. I'm reading from Genesis 37, verse, 30, verse 26. Again, they'd thrown Joseph into a well. They talked about just killing him because he had the position of honor. He was, he'd usurped their position in their family. And Judah said this, Genesis 37, verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, and this is the saddest, after all, he's our own brother, our own flesh and blood. So somehow, because he was their brother, he gained the preferential treatment of being sold into slavery instead of just murdered. His brothers agreed. Judah was the catalyst in Genesis 37 for deciding to sell Joseph into lifelong slavery. It was Judah's idea. It was Judah's plan. Judah led the way. What will we gain if we kill our brother? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Judah felt threatened. He felt pinched. He felt trapped. And he had to protect. And he protected both by getting rid of the threat against him and if he could make a little profit at the same time, so much the better. I think about ourselves. I think about how we're responding to the threats in our lives right now. Who are the people that are threatening you? And what are the forces in our country and our world right now? Is it your own budget or economy that I talked about my friends, Eric and Ashley? A lot of times it's the, the turmoils within our own house, our kids and our fighting and struggling to understand how to best raise our kids. It leads us to want to protect. Is it something with our neighbors? I think a lot of times there's even deeper than that. There's a, we have an internal struggle against and with ourselves of not being who we think we should be or want to be. And we end up in this weird inner vicious cycle where we, we actually, in trying to protect ourselves against ourselves, we lash out in selfishness, even against ourselves. Where are we feeling pinched? And where are we acting out of selflessness and we're, that we're masking as simply protecting our own interests? Judah is this fascinating character because he did not stay this selfish, protect myself at all cost character. He actually, his, his, his character had arc to it. So again, we're gonna cover a lot of ground here. I'm gonna summarize, but Joseph was sold into slavery. First, he was kind of the, the captain of a house, of a, of, a, of a famous guy, of a powerful guy, and then through a series of events, got thrown into prison. So now he was a slave and in prison. Uh, he made some friends in prison um, and actually was able to interpret some dreams for them, and they kind of forgot about him. And so he languished in prison for years, sat in an Egyptian prison for years. Then finally, the pharaoh, the king, the president, the head of Egypt heard. He had some, pharaoh had some crazy dreams. He heard that Joseph might be able to interpret them. So Joseph came up, interpreted them, 
The dreams were about a coming famine and what to do to prepare for the famine. So next thing you know, Joseph went from being a slave in prison to now suddenly Pharaoh put him in charge number two, second only to Pharaoh, number two over all of Egypt, over the entire Egyptian empire. And his role was to conserve food in a time of plenty so they might have extra in a time of famine. And so all the countries around Egypt that did not prepare in the same way, when the famine did eventually hit, they ran out of food. And so all the neighboring countries came to Egypt to buy food, to make Egypt rich, just so they could eat. And wouldn't you know it, the very brothers who had first sold Joseph into slavery, they came to Joseph and asked for food without recognizing who he was. And so now this whole story climaxes with what other brothers going, the brothers who once sold Joseph into slavery, what are they going to do now? And he did that because he wanted to see how would they respond, especially Joseph, or sorry, not Joseph, especially Judah. How would Judah, the one whose idea it was, whose plan it was, to sell Joseph into slavery? Again, I, I remember Joseph going away in that caravan. Did, did he lock eyes with Judah? That day he was sold into slavery and carried away? What would Judah say all these years later? So now we're going to go to Genesis 44 that I promised about. And I want to pick up in verse 30. Genesis 44 verse 30. Where Judah is explaining to Joseph why he can't go home without Benjamin. So he says, so now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. And your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. So your servant, Judah, saying, your servant, me, I guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame of my life. Bear the blame before you, my father, for all my life. Now then, Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return to his father, to his brother, with his brothers to his father. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Do you see what happened there? Judah, the one who, when he was pinched before, responded by selling his brother into slavery, Judah has totally changed. Judah now has become this hero of the story who when he's when all the pressure is upon him, instead of responding to protect himself, he takes on the blame and the shame and offers to be the slave to this Egyptian lord he doesn't know was his brother yet to protect Benjamin. Now here's what's crazy, right? Judah's life hasn't really changed, right? So when he sold Joseph into slavery, he, was, he did it because his younger brother had taken the role of superiority and honor in his family and he was trying to get this threat away. Remember that, that Jacob liked Joseph because he came from his, his favorite wife, Rachel. He had two sons from her, Joseph and Benjamin. Judah's life didn't change. After he got rid of Joseph, Benjamin then became the favorite son. Benjamin became, had the position of honor. And Judah was still stuck looking up at his younger brother. 
So Judah's situation and circumstance hadn't changed in all these years, but his heart had changed. And when he was, when he was pressured, when he was pinched, when he had the opportunity to decide, what am I going to do in this moment right now? He responded with this amazing, beautiful act of self-sacrifice, of generosity, of giving. He said to this strange Egyptian Lord whom he didn't know, he said, take me instead. This is the first example in the whole story of the Bible of someone offering themselves for someone else. And we're going to hear echoes of that theme throughout the rest of the Bible. Judah turned from the most selfish person in the story to the most selfless. I believe that we have opportunities and moments every single day where we had that moment of, should I be selfish and protect in this case? Or should I give? My friend Eric and his wife Ashley gave to me and Courtney all those years ago when we were living in our tiny little fort. And it stuck with me to this day, and here's the reason why. Because selfless acts of giving, man, they are magic. I don't, I don't care if you want to use a, a biblical word like, like uh, miraculous, or mysterious, right? Or I, I like the word magic. Acts of generosity, of giving, of being selfless, they're magic. And they're magic because these are the acts that God is doing to rescue the world. And every time we have this moment where we, have, where we are faced with the question, am I going to respond with selfishness or selflessness in this moment? We have the opportunity to join in what God is doing to rescue the world or to stand in opposition to it. All these moments, every single day, with our neighbors, at work, with our families, with our kids, <laughs> while we're driving down the road and someone cuts us off and certainly... However we spend ourselves in the crazy world of social media, we have the opportunity to either join in what God is doing to rescue the world by responding to being threatened or pinched or scared with selflessness and generosity, or we have the opportunity to stand an unknowing, active opposition to what God is doing to rescue the world by seeking to protect, by seeking to keep what's mine, by reacting against neighbors and friends and family and coworkers instead of acting for them. May we choose to follow the way of Judah May we choose, no matter how many times we've messed up in the past like Judah did, may we choose to land, ultimately, in giving, in generosity, and self-sacrifice. We are now going to share communion, which is the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. We saw what Judah did in Genesis, amplified by what Jesus did in the Gospels. 
where he truly acted out of self-sacrificial love. So if you want to grab your bread, I have mine in a pretty basket. Uh, you don't have to have yours in a pretty basket for it to work. I want to turn now and I'm going to read from, Genesis, uh, from 1 Corinthians 11. Read what Paul says. As Paul, knowing the story of Genesis, knowing the story of Joseph and Judah, he was seeped in that tradition, knowing what God was doing to rescue the world, understood that Jesus fulfilled what God was doing. And he said this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So wherever you are, take some bread, a cracker, whatever you have. And as we eat this, remember that the real sacrifice of Jesus empowers us to live in that same way ourselves. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Will you pray with me now? Dear God, I thank you that you are at work in the everyday, boring, monotonous moments of our life. God, we have these moments where we may never be faced with a decision, should we or should we not sell our brother to the Ishmaelite slave trade <laughs> caravan? God, we have moments every single day where we feel, we're feeling threatened and pinched and we want to respond to protect ourselves, especially, God, in a crazy time like this where, where there's more fighting than I've ever seen. God, may we as your church and may we as everyone who is connected to your church, God, may we choose differently. God, may we choose to follow the way of Judah and the way of Jesus. And especially when we're being pinched and threatened, may we Turn that into something magical, God. May you work in us to be people characterized by selfless love and sacrificial giving. God, may you use us to rescue this world from all the hate and anger and division we see. God, may we, with the everyday choices of our lives, may we join your rescue mission. And I thank you that you give us the opportunity to do